HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Hi there, Greenhorns. This is Severin. It's Greenhorns Radio, brought to you on the Heritage Radio Network. Every week for young farmers, by young farmers, broadcasting from different places in America, but generally talking about the project of fixing America using the tool known as agriculture. Today I'm joined on the phone. This is my very first time interviewing anyone from any of the Dakotas. Do you realize that? Wow. No, I hadn't. Um, there's not a lot of us out here. <laughs> there's not a lot of you out there. Um, would you mind introducing yourself and your project in your town? Um, sure. My name's Jeremy Smith, and uh, my lady is Trish Jenkins, and we're just starting up um, a farm in Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the westernmost town in South Dakota um, called Cycle Farm, and we're a little three-acre vegetable farm um, or no vegetables yet, but there will be next year. So we just got the land um, in August, and we'll be heading up there. Actually, neither of us are in South Dakota at the moment, um, but we will be heading there in January to start farming and getting everything ready. So, Holy smokes, and how are you going to get there? Um, are you going to get there on your bicycle? Um, potentially, but I, I think... That's unlikely in January. Um, I'm currently out in Oregon, yeah, learning how to um, build cargo bicycles and utility bikes and hope to apply that knowledge to building um, human-powered farm equipment for small-scale um, agriculture, so the kind of 2 to 15-acre range, um, trying to make things that we don't really need a tractor for but need a little bit more than hand power. So um, that's all kind of in the works. 
I think there's other projects. I know FarmHack um, has done some of that with the, the FarmHack MIT tractor, and I think there's brainstorming going on about um, bicycle-powered farm equipment. So um, It's, it's very... bubbling up everywhere I look. It's a very exciting time. Yes, now, I think so. Now, hold so. on. We need, we need to back up a little bit. Okay, yes, yes. So you guys of... have gotten your land. You're in going to North Dakota. You're coming South from Dakota. Oregon. Yes. How did you get yourselves prepared for this momentous moment, and how does it feel now that you're here? Um, well, I guess Trish and I started gardening in a friend's front yard three years ago. Neither of us come from any sort of agricultural background at all, um, and we just really enjoyed it and kind of snowballed into more and more of a involvement with the food system. We were down in Santa Fe, um, New Mexico, and there's a pretty active localized food scene, and the food system has such kind of deep heritage there that it was really easy to get kind of involved in it. And uh, we, I don't know, I've kind of spent the last five or six years not really knowing what to do or um, going from one kind of short-term job to another and um, nothing really seeming like it was mentally challenging enough and then kind of getting into farming it kind of seems like the biggest riddle to figure out crop rotations and companion planting and everything and how it's all going to work together and how to make a living farming in western South Dakota where there's not much of a local food scene going on. So um, so now I, there's not much going on. Wouldn't that mean that you have plenty of market share and no competition and, and yeah. um, you're just going to make it? Gonna make hand over fist money? Uh, well, I don't know. Um, that would be a hope. I think would be that there is no market share, but there's a lot of education that has to go along with it. So I think rather than having a huge, we don't have a large community of people. To we're actually in Spearfish, which is 10,000 people, so it's the second biggest town in Western South Dakota. Um, kind of a, a big hub, so it's a pretty good market and. We will be, I think, kind of the only organic vegetable farm in serving the city. We hope to serve just spearfish and kind of be able to do everything bicycle-powered and not have to drive vegetables to other markets and things, so try and stay as local as possible. Um, but, yeah, we should have a pretty good share of the market once we can get the market educated that there's a reason to eat local food and to eat healthy food um, or to eat non-pesticide sprayed food, so um, that's kind of And why did plan. you choose that think, town? What was that? Why did you choose to do that in that town? Um, well, I guess, so Trish and I met up in Montana, in southwest Montana, kind of Bozeman area, and really enjoy it. I was born in Montana, and but there's a pretty thriving local food scene there as well. You should find some Montanans to interview, too. Um, but the, so it seemed when we were down in Santa Fe and thinking about farming and wanting to um, commit to it, it seemed like southwest Montana, northern New Mexico, or South Dakota, which is where I went to high school and where my folks live, um, were kind of our three options. And it seemed as though northern New Mexico and southwest Montana have a pretty thriving food scene and a lot of kind of enthusiasm towards um kind of revitalizing the local food system, and there's a lot of farms already. Um, 
so it seemed like South Dakota was where we could do the most good, where we were most needed, um, just to kind of get people thinking about how much, what a percentage of the food is coming from California or from foreign countries that is in the town and how there's probably three days' worth of food at the most in the town if there were... South Dakota's pretty isolated and desolate sometimes, so it's it's hard to imagine, or it's not hard to imagine a situation where we don't get access to food in the middle of winter. And so kind of being somebody there to promote uh, resiliency and kind of community sovereignty a little bit. So that was the main reason for going to South Dakota. And so I think it'll be hard because there won't be that kind of thriving, vibrant agricultural community that exists in a lot of places, but it will come because I think there's, just like everywhere else in the country, there's a big push for good food. So so, so it sounds like you're coming in there with um, a very nice do-gooder attitude, and, and, uh, and it seems like you almost enjoy the thrill of going someplace where it's not already bumping in order to be the ones who bring the bump. But uh, what do you do? You anticipate that being a challenge, and if so, what are your plans for the long winters? Um, I think it will be a challenge. Definitely, I think there will be frustration at um, probably many unexpected points where we just can't, where it's hard to teach, or where we can't. Um, one of the the school district has just put in a new elementary school about a quarter mile from the farm, and that, so. Already we're trying to get a little bit involved with the school system, but I'm, I know there will be frustration and some resistance there. And so there will be, I think, more resistance than we feel like there should be, but um, I think there will be a lot more acceptance. We're kind of anticipating some of the resistance, so hopefully we'll be pleasantly surprised and kind of really excited when there's more support for it um, than we can imagine. Um, but we, we don't know, and so there's a lot of unknowns, and we're, neither of us have farmed before, so we're kind of jumping in um, and just running with it. Um, you asked about what we hope to do in the long winter, and I think that's part of what I'm doing out in Oregon currently is learning to build bicycles, and specifically cargo bikes, and so I will be building bicycles in the winter to supplement income is kind of a goal and to do bike repairs and things like that. So um, try and diversify so it's not, we're planning on not just farming, but some pretty related to farming sort of activities. So, um, yeah. Well, this is one of the things that's been really great. You know, I've been talking to a lot of the beginning farmer service providers uh, last week because we had the beginning farmer service provider USDA funded powwow meeting and you know, it was super exciting because there was all these people there and uh, we were all talking about, you know, what we're doing and the best methodologies and blah, blah, But then it was also kind of like, oh, my God, there's only 50 people thinking about this issue in the Northeast region. I mean, there's more, but not that many more. And But then we were kind of joking about how, in fact, the Northeast is really far ahead on these issues, partially because the challenges of land access and... Um, small-scale agriculture viability in the Northeast with a cold winter, you know, present particular challenges. But then we were also joking that, you know, that long winter is also great for, you know, brainstorming, off-farm income, planning, research, and that 
you know, not so, it's not it's not a bad idea to live somewhere with a short growing season if you plan on having a secondary or kind of like hybrid career structure. So I think you're right on. Is my yeah, point. I think it should be um, really nice, and it'll hopefully prevent us from getting burnt out on um, growing vegetables 270 or more days a year, where we'll only have the the 100 or 110 days to squeeze things out. Um, so it should be. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that dismal, but um, it'll be definitely the short growing season, and um, it'll be fun to see what we can grow over winter. I think we'll try and get a greenhouse eventually, but it's not not one of the primary projects. Um, so, and yeah, I think now wait a minute. What I don't understand great. is you just think you can go out there and farm, and you've never farmed before. Um, we I think are both very enthusiastic about it. I spent three months this summer helping on a farm in northern Santa Fe, um, but not, um, I was just farm labor and so kind of learning things as I went and playing in the soil, but um, yes, I think we're both pretty confident. We've spent the last probably two years since we've kind of decided that we wanted to be farmers, um, reading up and studying and thinking about crops and companion planting and taking farm tours and organizing farm tours once in a while and just trying to do as much kind of self-education as possible. But, yeah, we are definitely greenhorns in the fact that we haven't put our hands in the soil too much. So, But I think if nobody else is, or there's, up in South Dakota, there's not anyone else that's really put their hands in the soil doing small-scale um, vegetables for market either. So it seems we're just as qualified as anyone else at the moment up in the area. So, um, I don't well, know. I know one person uh, that I could connect you with. His name is Jacob Cowgill. He's in Montana. Okay. But he had, you know, he was similarly unqualified, and he walked in. He was into turkeys, and he had a smash. And one thing I've noticed is people often have a smashing success their first year, and only in year two do they run into the kinds of drama that, you know, we all cringe about. And, uh... So I hope the same happens to you, but you may want to talk with Jacob. Okay, he's pretty oh, awesome. that would be... He's got an off-farm job also. Okay, excellent. Yeah, we'll, it would be good to talk to as many people as we can. We're uh, definitely trying to figure things out and figure out what will grow there. and um, Definitely mixed vegetables and diversified as possible. So um, taking a beekeeping course this summer, and I'll do top bar hives and chickens. Um, so try and keep as many inputs coming from the, or minimize off-farm inputs, and we have pretty high ideals, I think, going into it, so we'll see as many of those as we can keep and keep ourselves enthusiastic about it. You know, it makes me feel like I should, you know, we should do a, like, post-Smackdown interview, like, that's all sounds so nice and rosy, but what are you going to say, you know, because this is the time of year when you're all of your farm plans, you've seen how they've all played out. This is October. Yeah. And I've just been, you know, going to everybody's harvest party and, you know, everybody's, like, recovering from Irene and, you know, had a, had a chance to really experience the fulfillment of their last winter's plans. And and it's like every single person is, is saying the same thing, which is like, well, I got a lot of insight about what I'm going to do different next year. And, um and I'm really starting to make plans about, you know, how I'm going to improve all my systems and, 
you know, expand this and no, ne- like never do that again, and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, I, I think we should make a we should schedule an appointment for next year to, you know, see how I, I think how you're faring. Spectacular, yeah. I think um, the amount we're probably going to learn in the next um, eight, ten, twelve months is something that I don't know if an apprenticeship or anything would teach us. I think we're going to get thrown in pretty. Um, pretty hard into it, so it'll be. I think it would be great to do a follow-up interview um, in in a year and just see how things are going, what kind of unexpected things developed. I think that's a wonderful idea. Um, totally. Well, and you could take a journal. You know, you could keep a journal of like all of yeah, your actually, impressions, and we, thoughts, uh, and hopes, and then and then it'll be fun to read it to your grandchildren and be like, ha ha, look, I was so clueless. Yes. But then, you know, some people are really into doing, like, prolonged apprenticeships and, um, you know, apprentice and then farm it, you know, apprentice for three years and then farm manage for two years and then, you know, get another off-farm job and earn money and are, like, super um, processed, long-term, slow, considerate. And then some people just, like, falls out and jump in and some people stay crazy, ballsy, and succeed enough that they can, you know, continue. And some people, you know, burn out and have to, like, chill out and relax and think about the next step and get another job and make a stronger plan. And it's really, I think, a matter of personality and and luck. And so I'm, I'm, I feel like you guys are curious enough people that this might be the right equation for you. Oh, I, I think so. Um, yeah, it was kind of an unexpected thing as well. We were um, up in South Dakota visiting some friends getting married, and we talked about kind of these spots that we wanted to farm and kind of started looking for land that was available and trying to find a situation to gain access to land. Um, and while we were up there, we this piece of property had just come on the market a week beforehand in Spearfish Valley where we're farming is a pretty small little valley. Like it might be six miles long total and it's kind of we wanted to be somewhere within biking distance to the downtown, um, somewhere where we could get education groups out um, to the farm and or get the school kids or whoever happened to be interested, CSA members, um, coming to the farm and this piece of property came up while we were up there, and so it was a very, it was like a three-minute, or not three-minute, three or four-day kind of decision um, where we toured the property and were able to figure out that it would work financially and just try and figure out if we could grow the crops that we needed. Um, and so it was a very rushed, spontaneous decision that had been kind of planned for the last year and a half prior that we were going to make that kind of decision at some point. But where it happened and when it happened was very unexpected. So, um, well, yeah, you know, I that's know how my it... parents got married. And that worked out for, you know, at least 25 years. So, Oh, excellent. It's, yeah, we should it's be able so to funny how the, world the soil works in that time. Oh. So, sorry, I and I'm, there. I'm impressed with that you had such magic that you could just walk into the valley with an intention and, and walk out of the valley with a farm. Yes, and, I mean, we are... We did kind of the, um, maybe not 
the ideal access to land, but we bought it. We're in a fair amount of debt right now and hoping to um, pay that off through the farm and through um, bicycles and so and off job or off farm jobs if needed to make it work. But I think the kind of rewards with being in the community and feeling like we're doing meaningful work I think are are worth it. It was a couple of late nights talking very serious discussion about what we were doing. So um, I don't know if it's a uh, we'll have to see what we think about it next year. Um, what our decision was like, but I think we're we're both very pleased and working our hardest right now to make it work. So, well, I think people are going to be excited to see you showing up with your bicycles. If if not if not excited, then at least surprised and intrigued, and that's already a lot. Yeah. Yep. And we're um, we've kind of got my folks live in the community, um, and so I went to high school there, and we spent a little bit of um, time there two winters ago. We spent a winter in there, so we're used to the winters. Um, or Trish, who grew up in Pennsylvania, is used to the winter in um, South Dakota. We were starting up a bicycle cooperative, so kind of a community workspace centered around bicycles. So we do have the bicycle community is there and strong, and so um, if we can get similar results with the farming and food community, it would be amazing. So we're kind of hopeful. Hopeful and, and worth hollering about. Now, last, the last question I want to ask is, you guys have been living in New Mexico for a while, and I know that you're friends of Avery's and, and have been at least marginally involved in the Kivira Coalition. Could you give a little yes. plug for the... Um, what Kivira is up to and the new agrarian conference that's coming up? Oh, I suppose so. Um, I don't know if I know a whole bunch about it, but um, it's the beginning of November, I think the 8th, 9th, and 10th, and Kivira is a... Do you need to know about the Kivira group? They're a, Sure, I'll do that. Um, they're a kind of <laughs> partnership group between um, ranching community and kind of an environmental community and land health. So it's using cattle as a tool to restore the land, um, and or that's their main focus, um, or a main focus. I, I'm not from, I'm not a representative of them, so I shouldn't use too strong of words. But um, the conference coming up at the beginning of November is um, this year. The theme is new agrarians, and it's um, I think. 70% or more, 85% of the, Trish chimes in, um, of the speakers are under 35, um, everyone from rooftop gardeners in New York to, um, I don't know, maybe I should, oh, radical political. Oh, there's, there's people farming. from New Hampshire who are doing carbon farming. I'm going to be speaking. Deborah Madison's talking about farmer's market cookery. Oh, there's actually, a rancher you know, more than I do. You're, from Oregon yeah. speaking. Urban farmer in Oakland. Yeah, it's gonna oh. be cool. Trish is chiming there's, in. There's amazing people speaking, and it's very all. intentional oh. community. So, in terms of uh, addressing a problem in the in the appropriate manner, that Kivira is the group that focuses a lot on that process and on that project 
um, they've been focused more on ranch lands, uh, but they're they're taking on the new farmer issue, and and they have a mixer between landowners and new farmers. And I'm going out there just you know hoping to meet some cowboys. Yeah, I suppose that <laughs> there there will be some of them there for sure. Um, yeah, it's a pretty amazing group what they what they do and the 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 plug would be better coming from Avery because she's much more eloquent than than I will ever be but um yeah I think it should be a, a pretty wonderful exchange of information and just resources between um new agrarians and some of the mentors especially in the ranching community um so yeah that's coming up in about a month so pretty wonderful Pretty darn wonderful. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, I'm, thank you for I'm looking me, forward Deborah. very much, and people who are interested to follow this uh, narrative forward in time, you can oh, find them. They're called Cycle Farm, 